You didn't ask for it, but we're back with another episode of Keep It. Coming up a little later after the news, I have an interview with Ashley Blaine Featherson of Dear White People. We'll talk about season two and get into a fun conversation about equal pay and Octavia Spencer. But right now, I'm joined by Kara Brown. Hey there. And Louis Vertel. Second week of Black History Month. I survived again. He's still here. He's still here. And I'm like Christina Ricci White this week. He is glowing. (laughs) Christina plus Casper, like if they made it at the end of the movie. (laughs) Tell people where you came from. Lamont, Illinois. A white place. Oh, I was in Austin this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Lamont's even whiter, trust me. I thought you were somewhere whiter than Austin this weekend. Oh, well, Austin's pretty white too. Yeah. We're going to be in Austin. Are March we? 10th. We are. Are we? Yes. We have a live show at South by Southwest. So if you're at South by Southwest, I don't know. Come find say us. Hey. Come say hello. Bring Prosecco. Bring um Lewis some sunscreen. Please. Oh, unbutton the flannel for us, honey. Tell Please. us what, <laughs> Tell us where to get the good barbecue. I don't know. I literally went one place and I think it's the good barbecue, but I'm probably wrong. Okay, well you're white. So. See, right. The good barbecue is too spicy for you. Oh, oh my God. Red to filth minutes into this. Black History Month. <laughs> you know, just just take it. Speaking <laughs> of Black History Month, we were graced Ugh. this week with the official portraits of Barack and Michelle Obama. The real president and first lady. Yes. Kehinde Wiley and Amy Sherald unveiled their depictions of the former first Ugh. lady and president <laughs> And I thought they were gorgeous. They were amazing. You know, it's contemporary art. Yes. So. Which a lot of people. Did not. Did not understand. They didn't seem to know that artists don't actually just render things to look exactly like. They're not all tracings of people. You know, a lot of people were turned off not by Barack's, but by Michelle's because the artist who did Michelle's portrait is Amy Sherald and her work tends to be taking black skin and making it grayscale. Yeah. You know, it's to sort of highlight the person. Yeah, and, and to remove skin color from the equation, I think that's also part of it where you don't necessarily know and that's the person, you know, when you're looking at that person. Mm-hmm. So it was a deliberate creative choice, which seems crazy that people didn't understand that. They were like, oh, she's the wrong color. It's like, you idiots. She did that on purpose. You think she accidentally painted her gray and didn't figure it out? Also, do you think Michelle picked Amy (laughs) Sherald not knowing she was going to do that? Right. I also object to people being like, it doesn't look like her. I think it does look like Michelle. It does look like her. You you kind of have to, you have to see a high-res photo, I will say. But when you see it- You can't look on your Boost Mobile. (laughs) When you see it, it looks like her. Yeah. It's quite obviously Michelle Obama. It's yeah. also very striking and also does capture the essence of her, like her kind of casually commanding tone. I, I think love, it's very her. I love the dress that she has in it. It's sort of this white dress that looks like a quilt and it turns into sort of black and yellow and pink and red colors at the bottom. Yeah. It's a, beautiful. A Millie dress, I think, which is interesting because she didn't choose a black designer and she often wears black designers for moments like this, but... It was gorgeous. She looked regal the way she always looks. Yes. And what I really loved about the work is the fact that 
it sort of threw back to the hope posters of Barack when they first came out. It gave you an image of the first lady and the president that has sort of been diminished over the past eight years. They look youthful. They look like they're representing art and culture and a future. It's fresh. fresh. Obama looks great. He's sitting in a chair in a nice suit, no tie, and he's surrounded by leaves and flowers. Mm -hmm. And Gehinde said that each flower is from a different place that Obama has lived. So it's Kenya, Hawaii, and Chicago. And it's just nice seeing a portrait of a black man look like this. It's, It's not concerned with his masculinity. Yeah. And it's black art, which is what I think everyone was having their knee-jerk reaction to, is this is quite clearly black art and this black aesthetic, and it's going to be up in the Smithsonian whether all y'all like it or not. So you better get used to appreciating it because it's going to be there forever. I would say also for uh, presidential portraits, they're kind of emotional feeling to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like being like him sitting like amongst nature, if you will, is an unusual take that makes you feel like there's something kind of sensual about it. And maybe that makes people uncomfortable too. a black man being sensual. I don't know. I'm projecting here. But uh, I mean, it's, it's beautiful for that reason and unexpected for that reason. And the last thing for me is that when you think of the like the purpose of a portrait like a hundred years ago when they couldn't take high-res photos of people, yeah, it probably mattered if it was an exact depiction. It's 2018. We got cameras. We know what they look like. History is not going to forget what they look like. And so them taking the opportunity to make an artistic choice and to actually make a statement and a political statement with their portraits, that's what they were doing. We don't need more you know, pictures of them. I think those portraits also throw into sharp relief how staid and kind of boring all the other presidential portraits are. I think people are resentful about that, too. And portraits in general. It reminds me of... The episode of The Crown where they were doing Winston Churchill's official portrait and the artist took some liberties with him to sort of portray him as how people saw him. And Churchill and his wife historically destroyed Mm -hmm. that portrait, (laughs) burned the fuck out of it, you know? (laughs) But we're in a different space now where this is art. The Obamas knew that their portraits were going to be art. They have always supported black artists and black music and black designers and they knew that this was going to be what's happening in black art right now you know it would be just like if picasso was hot (laughs) back when they were doing the portraits because presidential portraits are actually a pretty new thing Mm -hmm. they weren't going on back during the like picasso area but if they were and picasso painted a dope painting of like obama and michelle would people be on i don't know Italian 1920s Twitter (laughs) talking about um, this doesn't look like him. I mean, it's art. Get used to it. Happy Black History Month. It is Black History Month, and Black History Month wouldn't be complete without a feud between white people to (laughs) keep us entertained. And the ladies from Sex and the City really delivered. Woo! In a punch. In a big way. <laughs> so Kim Cattrall has sort of been letting you know that she does not fuck with Sarah Jessica Parker for a minute. She doesn't want to do Sex and the City 3. And I supported it, to be honest, because the second movie was racist and awful. It was 
she was the only one with sense who had the sense enough to say, <laughs> we're not going to embarrass ourselves so that the people are going to look back at us in 20 years and be like, what were these bitches doing making another crazy, probably racist or insensitive movie about a storyline that ended five years ago. Wouldn't it be awesome if for the third movie they just went back to Abu Dhabi, like leaned into it. They're like, we live here now. We're having the best time. So Kim Cattrall's brother passed away last week and apparently Sarah Jessica Parker reached out with her condolences and Kim was not having it. She accused Sarah of exploiting her brother's death and in an Instagram post Catral said, your continuous reaching out is a painful reminder of how cruel you really were then and now. Let me make this very clear. You are not my family. You are not my friend. So I'm writing to tell you one last time to stop exploiting our tragedy in order to restore your quote unquote nice girl persona. I don't need your love or support at this tragic time. Oh my God. You should perform Kim Cattrall monologues and speech team. <laughs> I... I've been practicing scenes from Mannequin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll challenge you with Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> so. Damn. These are shots fired. I mean. And it's wild. You know, uh, the funniest thing for me was when she put up that Instagram. Because you know when a celebrity comments or someone with a lot of followers comments on Instagram, you'll see that comment without having to click to see all the rest of them. So you could see Cynthia Nixon had clearly said some words of condolences. And Kim Cattrall had said, thank you so much. Underneath the one where she's dragging Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker for also giving her condolences. And it was so petty, and I kind of loved it. Yeah, here's the thing about this. A lot of people were deciding whose side they were on on Twitter. And I don't know the tea about Sarah Jessica Parker. You know, there are a lot of reports from back when they were filming the movie that there was a mean girl culture on the set. There were stories about how when they were filming, Kim felt excluded from the other girls. And, you know, there were also reports like of a time where they all stayed in a different house from one another. But Kim was also married at the time. So no one like really knows the true story yet because Kim has not dropped the memoir. But I would happily ghostwrite it if she <laughs> wants someone to do that. Until then, all we can sort of go on is the fact that Kim doesn't like Sarah Jessica Parker. And she took time out of grieving her brother to blast this woman. I was going to say. Okay. And also say your mom, my mom doesn't fuck with you either. So clearly there's real emotion there. Uh, true. Mind you, why would her mom know about Sarah Jessica Parker? That's a question I have. Here's the thing. I'm totally on board for Kim Cattrall not wanting to do Sex in the City 3 for the reasons Kara enumerated. However... In Kim Cattrall's post, she links to an article about the quote-unquote mean girls culture on the set. And it's a terrible article in which they're like, arguably, when Kim Cattrall started on Sex and the City, she was the big name of the show. No. She was in Porky's. And Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker was a former Broadway star who was an Ed Wood in Hocus Pocus in L.A. Story. She was like a movie star, First Wives Club, whatever. So it's like, that's already a lie. Then they say that, like, Kim Cattrall, married, wouldn't stay in the same house as the three other girls who got a house to, where they could film together. But it's like, that's not mean girls culture. Because somebody has a problem with you doesn't mean she's Regina George. I find that comment or that article belittling of the people involved. It's like, Sarah Jessica Parker effing rules that show effing rule and get over it. 
Also, I don't like when people keep saying mean girls about right. adult women. It's like that's just called being assholes. Like it's yeah. the same way that men are assholes. Women will be assholes. They're not mean girls. No, no, no article came out like when Christian Bale screamed at that guy, mean boys culture right, is out exactly. of control. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Right. That Decimating. Crazy. Well, I will say that it makes perfect sense that Kim Cattrall's mom knows about it. Because <laughs> I'm just saying, me... If I'm like on a movie set or I'm on a long running TV show and the person who's the lead of the show, who's in everything, you know, like it's Sarah Jessica Parker, it's Carrie Bradshaw, you know Kim Cattrall had to go home for the holidays. Family members were like, oh my God, Carrie Bradshaw, like we love Sarah Jessica Parker. And you know, at one point Kim snapped and went, listen. <laughs> I don't fuck with her. <laughs> I don't can, like her. <laughs> can I say this about her too? So she did like an interview somewhat recently with Piers Morgan, right? I don't know how that got set up. If you do that an, upset. If you yeah, do an interview yeah. with Piers Morgan, excuse me, that's who like Robert Blake calls to be like, let's talk about how I'm not a murderer or whatever. Like he is <laughs> gutter trash. You could have done that interview with somebody legitimate who asked actual questions who knew about the show, but you didn't. So I'm suspicious of Kim Cattrall now. Piers Morgan, an interview with him is basically like, the racist version of a Michael Strahan interview at this point. Have yeah. Omarosa and Logan Paul have both had <laughs> interviews with him after their recent drama because they needed a softball interview. And if you do an interview with Piers Morgan, you know he's going to be slimy and like want to get the dirt. Like he hates women. So you know he's just going to be like, He'll love you calling. He, lo- he probably Parker loved a bitch. exactly. He loved He's that feeding that was what off it was, of it. Yeah. Right? No, but he was like the ambulance chaser of interviewers and like <laughs> found her vulnerable and then like trapped her. <laughs> but let me just say, what's bothering me now is that I feel like this fear is getting in the way of Cynthia Nixon completing her EGOT, and she only needs an Oscar to finish it. I also think there should be a show about four gay men in New York called "We're All the Miranda." To be Are fair. Are you a Miranda, Lewis? <laughs> I'm a Miranda cusp, Samantha. Oh. Ooh. Mm. Like, I, I whip okay. off my wig in rage, but I also have taken the bar exam. I'm nobody's Miranda. You sure? Yes. <laughs> what are you, a Carrie? Probably, yeah. All right. Maybe even a little bit of a Charlotte. Guys, I have got news for you. I was a little bit of a sweetheart He might be secretly. a little bit of a Charlotte. You know what? Let's keep my business <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, you're a Bunny McDougal. You're the one wearing Chanel who's like a com- complete asshole. So does this feud between them color what we think of Sex in the City? No, the not past? for I mean. Like, I don't really care. I don't care. The show's still fun. Yeah, it changes nothing. It changes absolutely nothing. I've got news for you. They play like eight episodes of that on E! a night where the episodes are are secretly like 17 minutes. (laughs) Like several storylines are cut out. It makes no sense. Something about that show to me, even now, is incredibly addictive. I mean, I know that like the punny dialogue is overdone sometimes. I know like the storylines are predictable. You just believe they're friends. I don't know. My favorite parts of that show are, are when they do something stupid, like have to go to a funeral for someone they don't know. Well, that's the thing. It's acting. Mm-hmm. So they are oh, acting yes. like friends. I did not actually believe that those four women lived in New York and were all best friends. So there is no reason why the show would be soured for me because I knew it wasn't a documentary. Actually, yeah. Annalyn McCord, who is an actress who played Naomi on the 90210 reboot, just gave an interview on Wendy Williams this week where she said that she and Shanae Grimes, the lead, hated each other for the five seasons of the show. They're friends now, but they weren't friends back then. And it's, you know, I don't need people to be 
best friends. Like, no, it's called acting. Happy exactly. Black History Month. <laughs> Can I say something about Annalyn McCord? You know who I think she should play? Madonna. Madonna in that biopic. I think Annalyn McCord looks like Madonna. Anybody? Twitter, take this away. I want it to happen. I think Annalyn McCord is an unsung hero. She was great on that show that yeah. I would never watch, but... You watched it. Excuse me, you watched it. Don't project on me. All right, well, you did a lot of projecting, calling me a Miranda, <laughs> calling me a Charlotte. I called myself a Miranda first. My God, you're weeping. Guys, now. it's Black History Month. <laughs> no arguing between the races. We're, we're all Blair Underwood, who was on the show for two minutes. I cannot wait to blast you in 20 years when one of my siblings dies. Um, <laughs> I look forward to it. Actually, you know, maybe I am a bit of a Charlotte. I had a lovely Sunday morning with a gentleman, and I watched six episodes of Sex in the City, and usually I hate being around people. And so it worked out? It worked out. Were you dressed like a Charlotte, like a pink uh, sweater tied around your collar? I was, actually. And then he was like, can I paint you in a cross-dressing yeah. art exhibit or whatever? <laughs> whatever happened in that one episode? All right, we're moving on. <laughs> Moving on to Kara's favorite topic oh. of the week, Omarosa Manigault. You love her. Okay. You, you, Kara is so <laughs> mad that we are talking about this woman on the show. Yeah. She's going to be even madder when I say... I'm I saw. I know what you're going to say. I'm kind of rooting for you were, Omarosa. You were the problem. You were the problem. You were allowing this woman. You were allowing this woman to redeem herself, and it's you. Sh it's wrong. It's bad. So this he, shouldn't be working. So here's the thing. I don't think she's redeeming herself in my eyes. I feel like I still see Omarosa the way I've always seen her: a schemer and a manipulator. And I'm fascinated by how she does it. She's joined the Celebrity Big Brother house. She's in it now. And she's basically turned the show into breaking news. Like MSNBC, Fox News, people are covering this show. And she gave all of this information to Ross Matthews about how she <laughs> tried to stop Trump and how the tweets are scaring her. And we're going to listen to it. I know some of you may have heard this clip on Love It or Leave It, but John didn't know that Ross Matthews is on Drag Race because he... Oh, my. Burn him. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> he's, he's not invited to brunch anymore. And from the outside, can I tell you as a voter, a citizen, I never got it. Why you went to the, the White House with him? I felt like... It was like a call to duty. I felt like I was serving my country, not serving him. Whenever was it accepting sense. a political appointment? It was always about the country. Like, I was haunted by tweets every single day. Like, what is he going to tweet next? Kara loves this. <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, I tried to be that person, and then all of the people around him attacked me. It was like, why are you whispering? Don't give <laughs> Why are you whispering? You're mic'd. <laughs> and Bach is there, Jared's there. And it's... Who, who has that power to say what's going on? I don't know. I'm not there. I don't... I, it's not my... It's not my circus, not my monkeys. You know, I like to say not my problem, but <laughs> I can't say that because... Love that dialogue from The Greatest Showman at the end there. <laughs> what a load of fucking shit. <laughs> she took the opportunity Trump gave her because she wanted to be 
catapulted back into the spotlight, please. Also, my ass, you were like, you you came there. We're gonna raise hell and like wag a finger in Trump's <laughs> face. My ass, you were gonna stand behind him in every photo you could get in. Does she? not remember the fact that she went on television and said you will all bow before President Trump. <laughs> she said this! No, she's like a self-fancied sorceress, yes. <laughs> she's honestly like a television character who's had a different head writer every season. <laughs> because now they've decided she is going to be a liberal who hates Trump. Right. And but... It's just, I'm so fascinated because I love how celebrities try to rebrand themselves and sort of do PR moves. And it's interesting to see her doing that on live TV. And And for the 30th time. For the 30th time. She's reworking it. You see the wheels spinning in real time. And even if people know it's fake, like Stephen Colbert was like going on about how like it's bullshit the White House thinks it's bullshit, and like we all do too, but there's the fact that because she's talking about it, it's news. I think the problem for me is I don't feel like I have the confirmation from everyone that we know what she's doing, because without that, I'm looking at her like, am I the only one? I feel like I'm the kid and the emperor has no clothes, and I'm looking around like, hello, is anyone else paying attention to what is happening here? Because I feel like I am the only one, and it's making me crazy. So if we are really all on the same page of like, we know this is bullshit, we get what she's doing, as soon as this shit is over, she's gone again, we're not going to give her any more chances, we're just going to milk her for this entertainment, that's one thing. So you're just worried that we're going to end up with her as like a Democratic nominee she's in gonna, 2020. She's going to be someone, she's going to be the, what, what was her bullshit title for Trump? Like, black people vote for, you know, <laughs> that kind of. Viceroy or of irrelevance. Right. Yes. She's going to, I feel like she's going to turn around and have that position again and we're all going to act like none of this happened. Do you know what I think is the weirdest part of her being involved with this is that Omarosa is way more suited to Big Brother than The Apprentice. So it's this awkwardness for me as a viewer, somebody who really loves the show, that she's, I'm not going to say a good player, but certainly making the moves to make it appear as if she's playing a real game. So that is, in a way, entertaining. That said, when we weave in this narrative where she's like getting Keisha Knight Pulliam on her side and being like, let's do a black girl's magic thing. It's like, oh, now, now, now you get to pull that out? Well, also, they've nominated her for The Block as well. So it's like, We don't know how great she is yet because the game's not over. I personally think that she's more suited for a show like The Apprentice where there's one arbiter who sort of decides everything. So she's allowed to create chaos everywhere else. I think that the problem with Big Brother for her is anyone at any point could nominate her or get rid of her. So she sort of can't. It's weird watching her suppress the lunacy. But like I said, she's still... Making news. The White House <sighs> issued a response to her, and here it was. What is the White House's reaction to comments made by former White House aide Omarosa on Celebrity Big Brother, where she said, quote, she is haunted by the president's tweets. She described the situation inside the White House as bad and said it is not going to be okay. Uh, not very seriously. Uh, Omarosa was fired three times on The Apprentice, and uh, this was the fourth time we let her go. Um, she had limited contact with the president while here. She has no contact now. You dumbass. So that means you hired someone yes, who was fired four times, you moron. That's not a, What are you bragging about? 
Right. It's like she manages to still make the White House look You dumb. still hired her. You still hired her. You just said someone that was fired three times and yet you brought her back again. What's the positive thing there? <laughs> and it's the weird thing he thinks he can get away with saying because she's a black woman. I mean, it's just the, the randomness of obviously she was here for no other reason, but that is disgusting. Can I also say, I maybe at one point thought that God was a black woman, but when Omarosa sits there and says black girl magic and she wasn't struck down or burst into flames, God is clearly not a black woman. That is what that tells me. What's funny, too, is just an aside, the person who said this is the principal deputy press secretary, Rod Shaw, who I guess they put him out there to... Uh, Sarah Huckabee is... They saw de- that name and Sa- said put him up there. Sarah Huckabee is busy dealing with the domestic abuse scandal that's going on in the White House and getting multiple people fired. So they sent him out. And this idiot, while he's trying to zing Omarosa, the New York Magazine exposed that he used to work for the Jeb Bush campaign, and they published his text where he called Donald Trump a deplorable and said that the Access Hollywood tape was justice. This is the kind of person that they hire there. Also, you know, and you're commenting on Omarosa. It's like you shouldn't have your job either. You also know they put him up there because they looked around the room. And they're like, well, we need to make some kind of racist remarks about this black woman. Let's get the not white person to do it. Like, homie, that's why you're up there. You know, Jeff Sessions was probably chomping at the bit to go up. They're like, <laughs> Jeff, this isn't even your job. <laughs> <laughs> why are you in this building? Not to toot my own horn about this, by the way, but I said once Omarosa was challenged, she would be leaving the house and she disappeared because she had an asthma attack, quote unquote, for like 15 hours. What a long ass <laughs> asthma attack. And then when she returned, she said... I've got my asthma under control. <laughs> she coughed. Fully. She did a fake cough. You don't cough when you have asthma. What's wrong with her? Like she's in our town in the school play. Like, oh, goodbye, Grover's Corners. <laughs> she faked an injury on The Apprentice, too. She's already cribbing from her own storylines. I will say the only interesting thing that's come out of Omarosa being in the house is the fact that she's in the house with Keisha Knight Pulliam. And they the had Bill Cosby. Well, so like. they had this discussion, which hasn't been getting as much attention as obviously her talking about Trump destroying the world with tweets. And people judged you for that, but only you know your inner relationship, inner workings of your relationship with Mr. Cosby. Oh wow, that's the same thing with me and Mr. Trump. It's not something that can be minimized. It's comparing apples to oranges. But you don't see the similarity? You haven't been attacked because of your relationship. It's a different situation because this man is running our country and being the voice I hate of- you. <laughs> that now, this is in my world. I have to say, Omarosa has that Ann Coulter-y thing of like, oh, you're coming at me? Well, I'm going to do this lawyerly thing and make you look stupid, even though <laughs> I'm obviously deplorable myself. Because Donald Trump and Bill Cosby are both awful, vile people. But for completely different reasons. Also, Keisha was on the Cosby show as a child. She was four or something. (laughs) Why didn't she say anything? (laughs) But, you know, this is how she's doing it. She's working it. And I find it fascinating. I know you do. that conversation is how she got Keisha on her side to create black girl magic. Black black girl witchcraft. In Black History Month. (laughs) Ugh. Now, like, we need, like, a thousand white people to go see Black Panther an extra five times to make up for the fact that that just aired on television during Black History Month. (laughs) 
done. Lewis, get to it. I'm, I'm here. I go. <laughs> Can I just say this? As bad as y'all think Trump is, you would be worried about Pence. So everybody that's wishing for impeachment no, 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 no. might want to reconsider their life. Absolutely. <laughs> we would be begging for days of Trump back if Pence became president. That's all I'm saying. The White House is still embarrassing itself when Omarosa isn't involved because the Olympics are underway. And what does Mike Pence do but get into a Twitter fight with Adam Riffon, an out gay Olympic athlete? He was talking about how he wants to meet with Adam and talk to him about how, like, he loves gay people or whatever. (laughs) And uh, Adam wasn't having it. And basically that's, like, going on during the Olympics while Mike was also there with Fred Warmbier, who was the father of the Otto Warmbier who was killed in North Korea. And so you have him pulling this thing that, some people call a political stunt, and you have the fight with gay Olympians. Like, Gus Kentworthy and Adam Riffin are just constantly taking photos and tweeting at Mike Pence to make him mad or embarrass him or whatever. And then you have the drama of Pence near Kim Jong-un's sister, Ugh. Kim Yo-jong. So the Olympics, which is supposed to be fun and sort of, you know, the world, coming, our, together. The world coming together and watching our athletes is still sort of embroiled in America's mess. Everyone has lost their damn minds, is my only takeaway. Like, Mike Pence, what are you doing getting in Twitter fight? You don't like gay people. We know you don't like gay people. Keep it moving. It's not new information. And then calling this woman who is part of a regime that tortures its own people and starves them, and they're treating this bitch like she's a Kardashian. Right. CNN had an article that said Kim Yo-jong is stealing the show at the Olympics, and that she's the Ivanka Trump of North Korea. And her people's food. She's stealing that, too. (laughs) Also, how is she the Ivanka Trump? Like, she walks sometimes? Like, how are they at all alike? Not that I'm defending Ivanka. Sorry if it sounded like that. No. I'm I'm defending Kim Yo. Kim Yo is at least running a dictatorship. I'm not sure what (laughs) Ivanka does every day. She's just, also, she was just sitting there. I was wondering what I was missing, because she was just sitting there in a coat. Twitter does that. I didn't see her doing anything Twitter else. was doing that thing where they like to take a photo of someone having a facial reaction and pretend they're throwing shade or throwing right. side eye at somebody. And it's these person's eyes are just blinking. <laughs> oh, God. But let me say, by the way, underrated thing about the Mike Pence, Adam Rippon thing is he basically wanted to meet Adam Rippon the night before he performed. That's what you're going to do to him, like poison him with your like homophobic <laughs> viper stare, like seconds before he goes on. Right. And Adam Rippon said he did not want to meet with Pence. And then Pence was like, we never said we wanted to meet with him. He never denied that. And Rippon's agent was like, no. Bitch, you're lying. And you're distracting your own country from winning medals, you idiot. Like, you guys want us to have the most medals so that you guys can act like this country is still on top of anything. And you are distracting our athletes from winning and doing well and focusing. I want to add that, by the way, props to Adam Rippon for not being distracted because whenever he does interviews and, like, he'll get heavy questions about this all the way to, like, what's it like being the first openly gay athlete in the uh, Winter Games, whatever. He handles interviews so well, and I miss celebrities who are, like, quippy on the spot, have, like, that kind of cool sensibility. He really, to me, has almost a Madonna feel of, like, 
I know myself really well and I'm snickering at you until you can keep up with me. And so it's like Mike Pence is no match for him, has never been any match for him, and he's going to keep being amazing for a long time. I'll watch him on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> also, Adam's just really good. I watched no his joke. skating. He looks like an Academy I was, Award. I was, I almost was sobbing. I, he danced I, I Coldplay, Kara, and... Listen, Beyonce. Why and am Adam, I getting called out over Coldplay? Listen, no, I'm just saying. No. <laughs> I, I know how you probably feel about Coldplay. <laughs> I just feel that Adam and Beyonce are trying to single-handedly make Coldplay gay icons. Probably the Super Bowl. I and now forget. this. I mean, God bless. He's like the phantom threat of skating. It's so good. It's exquisite. He's. Have you been consciously uncoupled? No, this gay icon has. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing about Mike Pence, too, we have to remember, is he is really good at pulling these stunts. And no one really mentions that fact as much. You know, he did the Hamilton thing. He went to the NFL game just so he could leave when players were kneeling. He brought the father of someone who was killed in North Korea to the Olympic Games in Korea he is starting fights with Adam Rippon. It's like, this is what he does. He's like the David Blaine of white supremacy. And, <laughs> Always a new gag. And he's not getting enough of that attention for how much he's sort of like Trump in that he's yeah. very messy because Trump is messier. And and he's not that me- Like, he kind of does it messy things very cleanly. Calculatedly yeah. messy. yeah. And he skates by because of, and he doesn't say too much. He doesn't like run his mouth. He's out of the country Mm -hmm. while the Rob Porter drama is happening. He's out of the country while the Omarosa stuff is happening. That's he's not anywhere in Fire and Fury. He (laughs) he knows how to keep a low profile. Chrome Domarosa. I'm trying to come up with a nickname for him. I don't have it. Other than that, I'm really enjoying the Olympics, and it's a good American pastime. The losers are hot. Guys, how did we figure that one out? People are sledding, and they are sexy. And Americans are just doing really well. As it turns out, you can excel when you're American and you're, I don't know, 500,000 feet away from Donald Trump (laughs) and the country. Lesson learned. And we're back with everyone's favorite segment of the week, Keep It. What are we keeping this week? So my Keep It this week is just a tweet that I saw. And it said, Eminem and Ed Sheeran debut trailer for their new music video. And I am so tired on so many fronts. And I wish everyone would just stop. You know what? I didn't know that existed. And now I'm happy I made you sit through all that Omarosa news because I feel attacked, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> personally. I mean, what is he, I don't understand what Eminem is doing. You know how I feel about Ed Sheeran anyway. Um, Ed he, Sheeran knows how you feel Ed about Sheeran Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran also knows how I feel about Ed Sheeran. And I wish they would just leave us alone. Like, we have enough going on. Not this month. Not this month, during Black History Month? Like, my God, leave us alone. Yeah, I don't need to hear that song. Lewis, tell song? them to leave us alone. Okay. Go call your people Guys. and tell them it's Black History Month and to leave us alone. Oh, you think I have a lot in common with Eminem? <laughs> Something is the matter now. 
Lewis, what are you keeping this week? Um, I just saw that uh, Michael Haneke, the uh, very acclaimed director who did movies like Amour and uh, The White Ribbon, said that the Me Too movement was mostly a witch hunt. A couple of things. In the witch hunts, we actually didn't listen to the women. So that's a no. Secondly, <laughs> uh, really annoying thing to say, really basic. I do appreciate him giving great roles to Isabelle Huppert, but that's about it. So I'm mad. <laughs> Third, who? Girl, you've seen these movies. The Piano Teacher. I have not seen the fucking a Piano, piano yes. Teacher. Oh, well, get on it. All right. You're about I, to learn something. I only see movies about pianos if it stars Holly Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> not too far who's off, in honestly. The, who's in The Piano Teacher? Isabelle Huppert. I only know her from saucy remarks in French that, you know, I understand because je parle français. You understand it because it's a meme you saw on Twitter, honey. <laughs> okay. You know what? When Catherine Deneuve and I are enjoying... <laughs> A nice glass of Riesling or Sancerre uh, <laughs> and watching Isabel Huppert clips. Pepe Le Pew over here. <laughs> My Keep It is also short this week. Mm. It is Judge Janine Pirro. Mm. Oh, but she never messes up. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is this... Is she even a judge? I don't know. <laughs> no way. But she has a show on Fox News and... For the better part of the past few weeks, she's been stalking Hillary Clinton in the woods. <laughs> and now she's blaming Obama for the Rob Porter situation. Rob Porter is a former White House aide who was dating Hope Hicks and, as it turns out, has two ex-wives that he abused. And for some reason, Janine was saying that him being hired was Obama's fault. I don't know how he was not hired under the Obama Let's hear this one out. Who knows? But she's a lunatic. She's the one who was like standing outside Hillary Clinton's dry yes, cleaners. Like, her. like, have you seen Hillary Clinton? She getting her pantsuits cleaned? It's like you psycho. Even if she did, what is that proving that she gets things dry cleaned? Janine is sort of like a woman who's trying to return something to a department store during a holiday without a receipt. <laughs> that is exactly her personality. And it's stained, it's stained yes, a little it, bit. You know, it's, I want it for the original price, not the sale <laughs> price. And three weeks later, she's going to stalk that assistant manager outside their house <laughs> and badger the them lot. with her news crew. <laughs> I do kind of miss that style of Gail Weathers and Scream journalism where it's like, Sydney, whose mother was murdered one year ago today, is right inside. Let's go in. <laughs> but I want that from Nancy Grace, not her. Can Nancy Grace move that quickly through, like, you know, an embedded journalism environment? No, Janine, I believe, can. <laughs> well, maybe if Janine started hosting Dateline, yes. I, I would be much more interested in her mm -hmm. and her crazy conspiracy theories. I want to thank Kara and Lewis for once again being here. And even though we recorded this in a different location, and tried to hide it from Lewis. He still made it. <laughs> he still, still made it. How savvy us. am I? I've really got it together. He, he almost earned it, the fact that he found us. Yeah. Out here in Wakanda. <laughs> How many times are you seeing Black Panther this weekend? I mean, I want to play Kate Kara, so I'm going to go in the <laughs> 11 to 14 range. Nice. Okay, all right. You don't have to go. You can just buy the tickets. Oh, also, please. I'm ruthless. Counts. I'll go yeah. and buy and, yeah, yeah fake cause, names. Because when we talk about it, we don't want you here. <laughs> <laughs> Mother of God. <laughs> I will see you two next week. And when I'm back, an interview with Ashley Blaine Featherson.
Hi, Ashley. Hi. So you were on Dear White People. Yes. And um, <laughs> tell me a bit about the reaction to the show once, you know, it hit Netflix. Because, you know, prior to it, even with the movie, people, mm-hmm. new people were still discovering it and being like, what's the show about? Why is it saying Dear White People? Mm-hmm. Why is it racist? Well, it wasn't even so much when the show dropped. It was when we dropped the um, date announcement, which Mm -hmm. was like a couple months before. And people went wild. That's when people were protesting the show and canceling their Netflix and writing to Netflix and saying that we were racist and saying all these terrible things about Justin and all of it. Like, it just was really crazy. We were like... We just announced the day that it was gonna come out, guys. Like, literally, <laughs> like literally, that's it. We're just saying it's coming out April twenty eighth. Like, that's it. And I think for me, that was so telling because it was like, people are upset about something that's less than a minute long. Mm-hmm. They have no idea. They're not even taking the time to investigate or dive into what it really is. And just solely based on the title and that it's majority people of color, it's Mm -hmm. racist, and they're boycotting, and it's a whole thing. And I think we garnered like over a million views in like less than 24 hours, something crazy like that. (laughs) Um, And it was like um, the most dislikes, it was like, the ratio of like thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh my God, it was like three thumbs up (laughs) and like a trillion thumbs down. So that was like really crazy. And we were all like, but honestly, I think, you know, I did a lot of interviews and people were like, were you scared? Like, Mm -hmm. was it scary? And I was like, no, we loved it. Like, that's the whole point of why we're doing a show like this. Why Justin created it is to kind of break those stereotypes and show people you're upset about something you know nothing about and you're not even trying to learn anything about. So then when the show came out, it wasn't as crazy because like we had already dealt with the crazy people with the date announcement and you know people still had their views but i think that what happened was i think a lot of people who had their opinions about the date announcement they watched a little bit of the show and were like oh i guess it's not right like you know what i mean i think that's kind of what (laughs) what happened yeah um you and dear white people from the inception yeah inception conception What, whatever the word is, <laughs> um, you were so you went from this was a teaser trailer, mm-hmm. and to now it's a movie yep. to it's a TV show. Like, how is that for an actor to do that? It's interesting. You're just involved in. It's like almost like a theater troupe, you know. It like is. You're oh a, my you're god! In yeah. A camp, and it's like <laughs> these are my people. Yeah. And that's how you're moving through the industry. Yeah, I. So I'm not in the concept trailer. Okay. But I auditioned for it. Oh, you did. I okay. did. I auditioned to be Coco in the um. <laughs> we we had all gone out. Then it's funny. We had all gone out the night before. Like me, Lena, Justin, like just a ton of us had gone out the night before to a kiss and grind. Yeah. And I was like, guys, I got to go because I got to audition for Justin. So these thing. are real. The Kiss and Grind is real. I've never been to one. Oh, my God. They're real. I mean, I, I don't know anymore. I thought it was made up on Insecure. What? No, it's a real thing. Oh, okay. my gosh. No. Yeah. They're, you know, it's authentic. Yeah, it's really real. Um, I don't, I think they still do them. I haven't gone in years. They but... don't have them in Silver Lake. Oh, <laughs> you're going to have to come out. You're going to have to venture out of Silver Lake. Um, but no, so I, so I auditioned for it. And that was my first time auditioning for Justin. Okay. Yeah. And actually my friend Yanni, and it, we're, it's funny because we're all family. So yeah. she was Coco in the concept trailer. Then I auditioned for Coco initially in the movie. And my mm-hmm. friend Tiana was cast as Coco, but then I was cast as Curls, which ended up being Joelle. And here we are. But it is exciting. You know, I think for me, the full circle moment was when I went to Sundance this year mm-hmm. and my first time at Sundance was four years ago when we took the movie yeah and it was such a 
different time in all of our lives. Like, mm. you know, at that time we were all just trying to pull it together. I mean, whether it was buying our plane tickets to go, like our accommodations, like it was for a lot, most of us, our first features. Like mm -hmm. It just was that type of energy or for Lena or Justin, first time producing and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's Lena Waithe. Um, yeah, Lena Waithe and yeah. Justin Simeon. Yes. Yeah. Um, like saying like everybody just, yeah. everyone kind of does. <laughs> we, yeah, we, they do know now, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's so weird that Lena and Justin were working on this thing like four years ago. And now Emmy you know, winners and Emmy winners. second seasons yeah. of TV shows and this and that. It's it is crazy. But so so for me, it was that full circle moment at Sundance because I was like, wow, like now I'm here. I'm in a second season of a show. And Netflix brought you to Sundance this time. No, right? okay. I went for <laughs> that's the other thing. I went for something completely different. A project I worked on with Macro okay. called Lamert Park. Um, so it was just coincidental that I just was back for something else, but I was able to kind of have this full circle moment of like being like, wow, last time I was here, I had a four lines in a movie and now, you know, I've just completed the second season of a show and mm -hmm. I'm just really grateful for it. And we are a family. Like we fight for each other. Like Justin was like, I'm not making dear white people. Like you have to unless you're in it. Like you are you mm -hmm. are Joel and I just I'll always appreciate and love him for that. And so what is that like in contrast to, you know, when you are feel like you're trying to work in other projects? It's always so weird seeing you know like black actors trying to you know make it in hollywood and uh -huh. stuff and we're in such an interesting place now where we've created our own avenues and lanes for our work and we all you know know each other and are connected yeah but then you know it's still do you find that that's reflecting that the rest of hollywood is sort of noticing all that or are they just sort of noticing like the here's lena Here's Justin. You know, are they also being like, oh, here are these great actors that Lena and Justin are working with. Let me pluck them and use them for other projects. I, you know, I, if I'm honest, I don't know that that's happening yet. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like many of us and not even just actors, just content creators, producers mm -hmm. of color, whatever it may be, writers are on the mainstream radar as much yeah. as we should be or getting the recognition that so many of us deserve necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think that people are watching our fabulous content and shows and being like, oh, like they're really good. Oh my yeah. God, this is fantastic. But still then casting someone white over a black mm -hmm. person a lot. Of like, it, it's incongruent to me. It's like, okay, you're, it's almost like they're recognizing the talent in secret like mm -hmm. at home by themselves. Yeah. But then when in the meetings and then when pitching things and then when making things happen, it's not a part of that conversation. I don't mm -hmm. think that that's happening. And I'm hoping that it will on a larger scale. But until then, we have to just keep doing our own stuff mm -hmm. because we can't wait, you know? Yeah, because, you know, you would see like Issa with Insecure and mm -hmm. it's like, of course, HBO wants more projects from her. Yeah. But then it's like the writers on her show the other actors on the show too, you know, like give them other projects. Like that's how you that's build That's what I'm saying, out, exactly. It's the uh, build out. It's a wealth of talent. Um, like people, people are always, are they're always asking, they're like, oh. so I mean, I know all of you guys on the show are like, you guys probably are doing seven movies, you know, four other TV shows and we're all like, no, like, I mean, we're all working and we're all great, but not not to the level I think people would assume that we are mm -hmm. based on the type of work that we're doing. I, mm -hmm. I think people think that we're just, you know, having... Right, you're on a Netflix show. That's like, not this the is case. prestige. People are like, this is Netflix. Mm -hmm. Like, you should be in demand. Yeah, I, I 
I'll speak for me personally. I don't feel that that's the case for me necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I would say I could speak for some of my other like cohorts and stuff like that. I don't think that's necessarily the case for them either. Mm -hmm. Um, Not at this point. Maybe that will change. And not even just on our show, on a lot of other shows too. Like you mentioned, like whether it's Insecure or whatever, the show's underground, like whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. I don't think that people are necessarily looking and being like, we need, like, I don't think that that's happening at the level that it should. And what is this like as an actor? Does it make you feel like you need to get into also just creating your own content? Because it's, I interviewed Chadwick Boseman recently mm-hmm. um, for a shortlist Howard magazine Alum. profile. Well. Um, yes. Yeah, I love him. Uh, <laughs> and he and I were just talking about like this black renaissance that always happened. But the renaissance, you know, like it was in the 90s, it was Spike Lee uh-huh. and John Singleton. And, yep. you know, it was like directors and writers. And once again, it's Ava DuVernay. It's Barry Jenkins. It's Lena. It's Ben. It's Justin Simeon. You know, and Lena's work I feel like the acting work is coming from the fact that she's also writing and creating herself. You know, Mm -hmm. there's never really been sort of this renaissance where it's like, oh, we need to take, you know, these black actors. Like, I don't really seeing like that period where like you all are able to participate in this renaissance other than, oh, yes, let's go and work with these great people. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, it should be, you know, when HBO's announcing, like, a new show or, like, ABC's announcing, like, a new show, it's like, here are the actors. Here's a pool. I hope that it changes, you know, because it's hard. Like, it's really hard. You know, as actors, we do have to create our own spaces and create our own content. Like, that's just part of something that I think really helped me in this business was co-creating a a web series with Lena and partnering with Black and Sexy TV with a show called um, Hello Cupid that I had. And and that was based on me feeling like there wasn't a space for me. And so I was like, I'm going to create a space for myself and create Mm -hmm. a show where I can create content that I want to see and create content for people that feel like they don't see themselves, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I've always believed in content creation and being a producer. And the truth is, like, that's not everybody's judge. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, everybody just isn't, like, a producer. Everyone's not a multi-hyphenate, and that's Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. But I think that if you are, you have to tap into that in order to have, like, a well-rounded and successful and a career filled with longevity. I just think Right. You know, and not everybody has a Jessica Chastain (sighs) who can... You know. Exactly. Which was interesting, too. You know, it feels like, at first, I didn't know who had brought it up first. And then I saw that it was Octavia that brought it up first. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine to bring it up. But, you know, <laughs> it's, um, cause at first I was like, oh, Jessica's just in these streets being like, I helped Octavia. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and this is referring to um, Jessica Chastain and Octavia Spencer mm-hmm. um, sort of match their deals together on their upcoming holiday buddy movie uh, so that Octavia could get, you know, the same amount of money as mm-hmm. her. Um, but when you think about something like that, it's not like it helps every no. black actor. You know, it's just helping no. her. Um, <laughs> and then also if that movie doesn't do well, you know, it's it's yeah. not like she's going to be able to keep that quote. Yeah. You know, so it's... um. Yeah, it's just interesting in seeing the way the industry is evolving right now. And we're having a lot of conversations about gender disparity and pay equality. And it needs to move over to actors of color. Yeah, it has to. Like, I read Taraji's book, which is, for all actors, like, it's a really good book to read. Like, it Uh just, she just goes in. Like, she doesn't hold anything back. And 
She talks about that happening with her with the curious case of Benjamin Button, like basically finding out that she got like one <laughs> percent of what you know, um, Kate Blanchett and uh, Brad Pitt got, and she mm-hmm. just was so hurt by it, and just was so and and, and she ended up with an Oscar and she nomination. She was the one that got right. None of them got it. She got the Oscar which is the testimony of it all. I was yeah. like, you know what, <laughs> you know what though, and she was like, you know, and that's what she talks about. She's like, you know, I essentially grinned and bared it and clocked it and was like, you know what, I'm just going to do the best work that I can do. And mm-hmm. she came out of there with an Oscar nomination, you yeah. know, and that really changed the trajectory of her career. It did. You know, it's it's happening. And, you know, maybe the situation with Octavia being brought to light, maybe that will kind of make people more like, we can't just be giving the black people like fifty five hundred thousand dollars less than like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we about to be saying something, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know what I don't I don't know what happened. I don't know if Jessica called Octavia and was like, "Girl, how much is your deal?" And mm-hmm. Octavia was like, "Girl, my deal." I don't know yeah. how it happened, you know, <laughs> like, or if their agents just were like, "Let's just band together on this and yeah. just say that our girls are going to get it the same." I don't. I would like to know how it. Like, yeah. do you know exactly how? I it went think down? Octavia said that she um, was just talking with Jessica, and she was like, "I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but." This is how much black women make compared to oh, white women. Oh, gotcha. And, and Jessica was like, damn. Yeah. And that's part okay. of it, too. I think that, you know, a lot of people just don't know. And what's sad is that a lot of people in the industry who are very well-meaning also don't know because people aren't having these conversations mm-hmm. in public. And, you know, hopefully now that this is in public, it'll give other people the chance to be like, you know, if we've we've long had the the black best friend trope, now let's introduce the white best friend trope. <laughs> who is your white actress? Who is like, I love working with this person. <laughs> Let me check their paycheck to make sure they're getting the same as me. Um, because you know it's it, talking about white women are doing this with men being like you know like wanting to make sure that you know their deals are the same, uh-huh. but. Um, before demanding that you know they're making the same as men like they should also be looking out for women of color that they're working percent. with and making sure that they're all on the same page thousand percent yeah i just hope that i you know that the pay equality really starts stepping it up because mm-hmm. it's not right like can you imagine like really i mean this happened to all of us you know it, it's happened to me a, a trillion times and it is one of those things where you have to just stick to your guns. And sometimes you have to be like, well, I'm not doing it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, y'all can find somebody else, you yeah. know? And and I think that there's a stigma attached to that. Like, oh, do you think you're... But it's like, no, you have to know your worth in all situations in life, but particularly when it comes to your money and how people respect you in this business. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about, you know, making money and about, you know, being like, oh, I want to, you know, have like a fabulous house and cars, you know? It's yeah. like, especially for actors who are working on television, you know, not everybody's Ellen Pompeo. You know, I think that people are still in the mindset that everyone on television makes what the actors on, like, an NBC sitcom in the 90s used to make. No. And it's not that world anymore. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, people are just trying to pay bills. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Well, thank you so much for coming, Ashley. Thanks for having me, Ira. Yeah. This is the best. Tell people where they can find your work, uh, what's coming out. Okay, cool. Um, So you can find me on Netflix right now. <laughs> you can watch season one of Dear White People on Netflix. Uh, season two is coming out soon. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at, at Ashley Blaine and Facebook. But 
<laughs> Stay away from her face, bro. You Russian bots. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Kara, Lewis, and Ashley Blaine Featherson for coming by this week's episode of Keep It. I'll see you next week. We were able to get <coughs> my asthma under control. This was a really scary experience. Thank God I am back in the game.